The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop writing your XML louder when your Fortran app doesn't understand it and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 209 with guests Mark Berry and Mark Dunn, recorded live Thursday, November 30th, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies, online at www.franklins.net. And by Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications, online at www.telerik.com Support is also provided by Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com And by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man with infinite monkeys in a room writing the collected works of William T. Riker, Carl Franklin! Thank you, thank you very much, and welcome to another awesome edition in 2007 of .NET Rocks. Hi, Richard. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing good, as usual. Wow, the time's flying by. It's 2007 already. It is. What's uh, What's been new with you, real quick? Not too much. Plunking away. You know, it's January, and January's my favorite time of year. It's when I get to go shopping. So yeah. I've been trying to put together some new machines and upgrade some water cooling. So I'm a little out of control, but you I'm actually, happy. You actually got a... Uh, somebody actually got a toy for you that you didn't have for Christmas, I remember. Oh, yes. My wife got me the Sony eBook, that electronic book with the electronic ink. It's phenomenal. What a great product. And I hear you spent some time reading over your holiday. Well, I was able to put 30 books on this thing, and then I, we went we went to Costa Rica for Christmas and New Year's, Right. and I'm just not a lay-on-the-beach kind of guy, so I read 15 books. <laughs> Jesus. You're a freak of nature, Mr. Campbell. Well, I'm, I'm feeling smarter all the time. I bet. <laughs> I'd feel smart if I read 15 books on a piece of digital ink paper. Oh, it was great. It's a phenomenal product. I'm really impressed with it. It's It's been really great. Hey, uh, we got an email here. Yes, uh, sir. A couple of them, but I want to read this one here. Uh, the subject is, uh, well, it doesn't matter. This is from Angel Amador. And, and we've read our email from him before. 
Yeah, we have. And uh, he was talking about our show with Scott Guthrie we recently did. He said, hi, guys. I listened to your last show with Scott Guthrie, and I did enjoy it. I know it's hard to find tough questions to ask a guy like Scott, but come on. (laughs) (laughs) Did we really throw softballs at Scott? He says, I'm somewhat disappointed in how meekly you guys handled that interview. On the other hand, I love .NET, and I would be hard-pressed to say anything remotely negative myself. And with a smiley face. Hope you guys are doing well and keep up the good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, there's just something about Scott that, you know, uh, you, you're just in awe of him. It's Scott. It's Scott Guthrie. I mean, now we've had awesome guests, but, you know, the guy who invented ASP.NET, well, the co-invented, yeah. I just, you know, it's a different level. Besides, I, I really don't have any gripes with ASP.NET. I don't have any gripes with ASP.NET. It just works great. It's funny, so, isn't it? At 2.0 especially, it's been quite a remarkable product. Yeah. So I guess it was a little bit of a love fest, but like the guy said, he couldn't find anything negative to say. I guess, uh, what am I going to say? Hey, Scott, don't be so nice. All right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got an email for you as well here. All right. Carl and Richard, thanks for producing such an excellent podcast. .NET Rocks is a weekly staple of my diet of podcasts to get me to and from work. Yummy stuff. However, even if not for a long commute, I would still find time to listen to this one. Wow. That's a nice compliment. Yeah. The content, which is not always applicable technically to my job at the moment, is always interesting. Good. That's what I want. I'm a career oracle DBA. Hmm. And then he says in parentheses, don't. Did he just say the O word? (laughs) Which is something I say in my sessions all the time whenever I bring up Oracle. Oh, well. But I recognize the value of having developer skills, if for nothing else, to be able to work and communicate better with the developers on my team. Very wise. There's a smart guy. Oh, yeah. So I decided to begin learning a language, and I, since I already hate Java... Well, ooh. there you go. And then he says, uh, stinky performance on Windows, doesn't play well with virus scan software, library's hard to understand, at least for me. Okay. I looked at the .NET platform. I attended some MSDN events and won a drawing for a C-sharp book. Hmm. So the decision was made. I threw this in to show that I didn't choose against VB, but will likely pick VB up in the future in my quest to learn multiple languages, as recommended in recent DNR podcasts. Absolutely. Ted Neward's getting a lot of traction on that line about learning multiple languages. Well, he didn't invent the idea, but, I mean, he's a big proponent of that. Absolutely. Uh, learn a new language every year or something, did he say? Yeah, something along those lines. That was in Bulgaria that he brought that up. That's right. Yeah. Thanks again, and you guys keep up the great work. You're doing a fantastic service for the development community. Regards, Daryl Landrum, Keller, Texas. Awesome. Well, it's good to know that people listen who aren't just, you know, um, looking for, you know, the how-to of the week kind of thing. That's good. I mean, we love to mix it up. I love to have technical guys on here, but then, you know, the, the, the mantra from the very beginning of the show was, if it's interesting to .NET developers, that's what we want to talk about. You bet. And speaking of things that are interesting to .NET developers, our friend uh, Greg Brill down there in New York City, who, as you recall, Richard, is offering a free apartment for the right person for or people for a year in New York City, as well as a New York City commensurate salary uh, for, for people who want to go work for him in the uh, financial services industry down there in, in Manhattan. And uh, he's already picked up five people. Wow. Out of all of the, and he's interviewed quite a few that responded to that uh, offer. The offer still stands. He's looking to hire like 30 people, so, or even more. Uh, and we got some good stuff we're doing in, in, uh, connection with him coming up. Um, 
he's just a smart guy who uh, has a team of developers and he's looking around and finding that it's really difficult to find the right people for his uh, for his organization. And the ones that are there are enjoying uh, quite a bit of success. He's an interesting guy. And I, I you know, uh, to be a young developer again, I'd jump on this. Absolutely. If I could, you know, if I could, yeah. If your wife would let you. Yeah. Well, we would have done it back back when, you know, I was looking around. But yeah. Uh, um, anyway, if you're interested in this New York City tour, go to infusiondev.com. That's infusion, I-N-F-U-S-I-O-N-D-E-V. Dot com and check uh, click on the New York City tour links. All right, Richard. Well, it's time to introduce our guests, Mark Dunn, who you know as the first co-host of .NET Rocks, has over twenty years of experience in software development, engineering, database administration, and project management. He's a Microsoft MVP for Visual Basic .NET and a Microsoft Regional Director covering Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. Uh, he co-hosted the first year of .NET Rocks with myself and is now often found supporting code camps throughout the Southeast. Mark has been a speaker at TechEd and Dev Connections events, as well as numerous .NET user groups across the United States. Mark founded Dunn Training and Consulting in 2002. His company is focused on custom Microsoft training solutions and consulting for state and local government clients. Mark resides in a northern suburb of Atlanta, Georgia, with his wife and two children. And Mark Berry, his uh, partner in crime here, is president of Software Training and Consulting, LLC. And Mark enjoys teaching and consulting on the Microsoft.net platform, as an MCSD and MCT, he works with both C-Sharp and VB.net. And most of his time is spent teaching and consulting on BizTalk server. Mark has helped spread the word about BizTalk by presenting and answering questions at events like TechEd and the BizTalk product launch. Mark has helped write and review some of the Microsoft official curriculum for BizTalk server. For the shameless self-promotion of his BizTalk course, Mark has started a tour of user groups in the Southeast talking about the joys of BizTalk. You're not going to make me read this last line, are you, Mark Barry? <laughs> Mark funny, likes no. long walks on the beach at sunrise. You <laughs> <laughs> uh, left out your sign. And, you yeah. got to play some mood music with this one. <laughs> <laughs> the dating game he's looking for a stable partner there you go welcome guys hey carl how's it going it's good to good to talk to you mark mark and mark hey, mark carl. b and I'm, mark I'm excited d excited to be here as usual that's good i'm glad you're excited i'm excited to have you as a guest how excited is he yeah how excited are you mark you know, I thought about it. I'm I'm more excited than a college freshman popping Mentos and Diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> you That's guys, how excited I am. I don't know if you know this, but the guys on the internet who do the Mentos and Diet Coke like over the top stuff, they're friends of right. mine. No kidding. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Fritz Groby, and uh, you can find them at epybird e e p y bird dot net. I think it is. They need a job. Yeah, they. These are guys from uh, Randy Judkins' crowd, the Odd Fellow Theater up in uh, Buckfield, Maine. Let me see, epbird.com, I think it is. E e p y bird.com. I'm going there now. Yeah, the Diet Coke and Mentos video. So they've been on Letterman. They've got right now the the experiment that they're doing now is they've got chain reactions. So 
every bottle cap is tied to the next bottle cap. And so when it spurts, it, it triggers the next one. And they've got hundreds and hundreds of bottles in a, in a, in a row. Anyway. I'm thinking these guys have a little too much time on their hands. Yeah. I don't know. They're getting sponsorship from Coke and Mentos now. They're like, well, this they, is they their job. Just not paying for their ammunition anymore. You, well, that's true. That's true. I don't know. It's kind of cool to say that, you know, you, you were an internet folk hero, I think. I don't know. For as long as it lasts. Right. So, uh, BizTalk. Yeah. BizTalk. BizTalk, BizTalk, BizTalk. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out why BizTalk hasn't taken over the world yet. Or has it? Uh, well, it's taken over my world, and that's the important world, right? <laughs> and of course, you know, we when we did the road trip, one of the products that was on the list of the stuff at the launch was BizTalk 2006. But I don't think we heard much about it after that. Right. What happened? Well, I think one of the problems was that the launch was their product launch. And, of course, people expected that the product would be available at the product launch. Right. And it wasn't. And so I think that, you know, using the term launch with BizTalk 2006 when it was, you know, November and didn't come out till whatever that was, April, March, somewhere in there, was probably a problem for them. They had a couple of maybe marketing problems like that, I think. Well, and it... BizTalk, to me, doesn't sound like an incredibly sexy product. I always thought that it was just about converting uh, messages from one thing to another. Yeah, and it certainly was more of that uh, in the 2000, 2002 space. Um, I think that they were they were promoting it more that way. Certainly, if you went back and, and were able to get some of the old web pages and read about what BizTalk did and what BizTalk does now, uh, the two products would sound different. I, I don't think you'll see... Uh, EAI, Enterprise Application Integration, anywhere on the current BizTalk site, right. although it still does that, you'll see only it's a BPM server, because that's yeah. really what they're pushing now, is the fact that it does BPM. And I think that's the right space for them to push, too. Yeah, my first rem- thoughts on this product, it was EDI. It was Electronic Data Interchange. And it was able to read EDI feeds that everybody else was charging a ton for. Right. Uh, also, we might want to define, Mark, what, what BPM is for... Uh people out there. Yeah, so a uh, whole alphabet soup out there, but uh, BPM is business process management. Uh, you'll probably find a few other definitions out there somewhere if you Googled it, but uh, we'll, we'll say business process management. Um, the idea that we have uh, some process within our business that is probably a long-running process could be, uh, certainly is not sort of an in-memory process, could be days or weeks or could be years even. And we want to be able to manage that process, go back to it, uh, fix it, interrupt it, things like that. And so the management of that cross-system is really what uh, BizTalk is, sort of the sweet spot for BizTalk. I'd like to mention that uh, this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, Telerik RAD Controls, the most comprehensive suite of components for Windows Forms and ASP.NET applications. And you can find them online at www.telerik.com. there'd kind of be two 
different types of people uh, listening to this show. One type would probably be the 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 person who's using an earlier version of BizTalk and wants to know what's new about this new version and should they upgrade. Uh, and, you know, we're trying to pick up some tips, you know, about some stuff they already know a little bit about. And the other is probably wondering, you know, should I write a whole bunch of code, you know, for less money maybe than it would cost to implement BizTalk? Um, is it going to be less or more? I guess that's the question, you know. People are always trying to figure out, well, is it, are we going to save money by spending, what is it, 15 grand on a BizTalk server and then you know, using that as a framework? Or should we just like write a whole bunch of code and rules to move data around? Well, you know, you can burn through $15,000 very, very quickly uh, trying to develop something, especially if you're using maybe a consulting company to do it. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's one thing to consider. And there are aspects of BizTalk, like the rules engine, for instance, that uh, you simply wouldn't want to write something like that from scratch. Yeah, you wouldn't. You wouldn't write it. You would. Uh, you would just start writing code to, you know, do your own rules without an engine to to help you along the way. It always strikes me this is a sort of technology that you creep into. That it started off with you just plugging two pieces together, and then you added a couple of rules for when it should go to this third piece, and then you added a couple more things and a couple more things, and eventually you've got this sort of crazy cobbled together system and you want to tear it all out and replumb it. Yeah, that's one of the real advantages for BizTalk. And you could do this in your own system as well, but it is a hub and spoke type architecture. So where we're doing a lot of point-to-point things, the more applications I have to integrate with, right, a change to one application becomes, you know, exponential uh, as far as the changes I have to go and touch each of the other systems. Right. Now, we'd like to say that, oh, we're, we're going to do interface-based programming, we're going to do contract-based programming, where we're not going to change that, but that's not really the reality of it. We are going to change the contract. We are going to, at some point, change the interface. And Whenever that is, even if we can extend that cycle, we still have to at some point do it, and that's where the pain comes in. So having something where I can send my messages into a hub, let it do routing, transformation, et cetera, and send that message back out to all the subscribers uh, really helps. Irrespective of protocol or any of those sorts of things. That's right, irrespective of protocol, which brings up the question of uh, WCF, and I, I'm going to keep saying Indigo just because it's easier Hey, we're developers, to, right? I, I'm with you, brother. I like Indigo a whole bunch better. Yeah. It's, it's easier than saying, was that WF or, or WCF or, anyway, WPF? Right? right. So instead of getting mixed up in that Indigo. We do Wikifa and Wipifa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the WTF, that's the one I want to know about. All right, what the <laughs> So uh, one of the questions that always comes up is, oh, well, now that we have Indigo, right, it's just going to be such a configuration story that I'm just going to go in, I'm going to flip a bit in some configuration somewhere, and I'm going to change everything. But that still makes possibly 
a point-to-point architecture, right? So you'd need something in the middle to handle your web services coming in and send them back out. And so now you're talking about building BizTalk again. So uh, I, I always hear that people say, oh, well, I'm just going to wrap everything in some sort of indigo wrapper, and then I won't need BizTalk because I won't need to do this transformation of the data coming in. Yeah. But not A, not everything can be wrapped. Right. And, and, and B, there are more rules than that. That's right. And that doesn't, that just provides you with sort of the um, pie in the sky, common way to talk to everything. It doesn't provide you with any of the business process management, which is really, again, where sort of the biz talk push is going is business process management. That's what I think you'll hear from the biz talk team all the time is that it is a BPM server. So presumably there's going to be an Indigo plugin for BizTalk at some point. Yes, uh, there is. I don't know if it is shipped yet or not, but uh, they, they had one uh, in beta. And so uh, they said quickly afterwards they're going to, uh, to, to ship an adapter for, for Indigo. That makes sense to me. So, Mark, I have to I have to ask you the question that that we've seen pop up before, just so you know we can get uh, get this out here. Uh, why would I want to use BizTalk rather than just do something with Windows Workflow, which is essentially free when I buy the operating system? Won't yeah, this Workflow is a handle good question. BPM for me, right? Because we've already we've said Indigo is a communication system and it'll integrate with BizTalk, but the other part of BizTalk is Workflow. Is BizTalk using WFF or WWF or or is it something else? Um, so, no, it will. Uh, but our current version, BizTalk 2006, is uh, is not using WF under the covers. Um, but it will use the WF going forward. So, one of the things that happened was Microsoft looked up and said, hey, we've got lots of people building workflow, right? We've got people over in Office building workflow, and we've got people over in BizTalk building workflow. And so there was lots of this workflow going on, and they said, we really need a common strategy for this. And so you might think that some workflow team won, but actually lots of the guys from the BizTalk workflow team, which would be orchestrations, moved over to the Windows workflow. Right, and so so that's where those people came from. So it's not exactly like this is a brand new stab with you know everything entirely different, and it's their first you know V one sort of product with workflow. It's just taking all the best ideas that everybody had that was doing workflow variations and making a common library. And we had an interview. I think it was in Barcelona, actually. Paul Andrews, who was involved with the workflow team at, at Microsoft, and said that was exactly it. Originally, it was an internal product because so many different groups needed a workflow solution. But Microsoft being Microsoft, of course, they've made it available to developers as well. That's right. So now we need to answer the question, so why don't I just go use Windows Workflow? It's going to right. be the OS, you know, hey, you know, isn't this going to be the death of BizTalk? And the answer is no. Uh, so, <laughs> so, But it'd be so much more fun if it was yes, because then we could just go get <laughs> yeah, a beer. Well, you know. <laughs> All right, we're done. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Right. <laughs> I'm out of here. So you have to go back and look at some of the services that come out of Windows Workflow. Um, a lot of the uh, scalability, reliability on top of Workflow, you have to go in code. So although we have providers for things like persistence, 
right? right? So we can say, all right, I'm in the middle of this process. I want to save it off and bring it back at a later date. There's still some plumbing that goes along with that. And that's just the default persistence provider, right? What if I really need to hook up and get something transactional where I can guarantee that I won't ever send a message twice? Well, I might have to do a little bit of plumbing around that, and I have to think about that if I write my own uh, persistence provider. So there's a lot of extra code that's in there that you may not see as you sort of first glance over Windows Workflow. But here's what I say when people say, well, so where do I use Windows Workflow and where do I use BizTalk orchestrations? Right. Good question. The line gets Mm. drawn at, in my mind, sort of the easy answer if I'm trying to explain this to my boss or something is internal workflow for a system is Windows Workflow. Right. It's the API. I'm going to call it. I'm going to interact with it. I'm going to build it with Windows Workflow. I'm not going to do BizTalk messaging, you know, send a message out, have it write to a SQL Server database for every message in my application, right? Yeah. Whereas if I'm going from system to system, right, if I'm going cross-system, then that management of cross-system workflow becomes BizTalk's domain. Does, does that make sense as sort of an easy first step? To yeah, sure. Those two? One app versus multiple apps. Absolutely. That's sort of the break point. And as a guy with a bit of an IT bent, I take very personally things like high reliability, high availability solutions, because a lot of people can talk about, and I've dealt a lot with queuing, and everybody can write a queuing engine. It's just not that complicated. But guaranteeing delivery is only trustworthy when it's been around for a while. If you've written your own, you can demo to me to your blue in the face that it works, but you never really know until you've tried every possible variation and you can't do that. Right. The fact that you don't have to own the code, you can give it to BizTalk to do that guaranteed reliability stuff, that increases my confidence level a lot. That's so true. Most of the time, it's not like a big sign pops out of your machine that says, hey, I lost a message. <laughs> you know, The reality is that you find it a year later when something doesn't reconcile. <laughs> And you, and, and you don't really know where it went. You're just like, it seems like we lost a message. And the developer says, sure, I can fix that. Tell me how to reproduce it. Yeah. Well, that brought us to a grinding halt, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only talking about this pain because I felt it. You know, one of the things that really interested me about BizTalk is the whole activity monitoring side of it as well. I think that's very uh, an underrated characteristic of the product, an underrated feature of good IT systems. Yeah, the ability to go in and uh, to implement uh, some reporting after the fact, after you've rolled out your product, is huge. I'm a big fan of what's called BAM, Business Activity Monitoring. Um BAM is huge. The idea that I can go back in and add instrumentation after I've deployed my business process, you know, without having to redeploy again. Exactly. Hmm. Without having to redeploy, I don't recompile anything. I try it on my QA and I push to production, and all of a sudden I'm getting all this information that I didn't have before. Magic. So, one of the things that, in talking about BAM, one of the things that I 
I, I like about BAM as well is that BAM is a really free solution. When I go and do some sort of uh, business decision maker uh, presentation where it's not necessarily the developer in the room, you want to do the BAM demo. It may be a small piece of what BizTalk does, but the decision maker may have no idea about um, transactions and reliability, and they may be interested in you saying those words. But right. what's cool, the GUI, the Excel pivot table, the chart, is BAM. And so if you want a really slick demo, you do the BAM demo. And what BAM gives you is the ability to take information as it passes through BizTalk. It sort of throws it over its shoulder. BAM intercepts that information, and it puts it into a table somewhere. Now, we can roll that to a cube with a DTS package. Cool. Or we can get some sort of real-time aggregation. It's doing some sort of cubing on the fly type stuff. And it's just really slick. They've also added in the 2006 space, and I guess we should go back to that what's new in 2006 here in a second. But one of the things they added was a BAM portal. Uh, It doesn't have anything to do with SharePoint, although it looks sort of similar. But the Mm. BAM portal is uh, a way to go in and it's got a sort of template website set up that you can see real time the charts and graphs from the uh, Excel plugin and watch things. So what happens is I have maybe three buckets, orders I took in, right? Orders that I've packed and orders that I've shipped. And if that, you know, packed dock goes up and things are sitting there on the dock, you know, not getting shipped. Maybe I set myself an alert and it uses SQL Server notification services to say, hey, you've got 20% of your orders sitting there on the dock. Something's mm. wrong. Yeah. Right? Call somebody. Call in some additional help. Get that thing moving along. That's right. And that visibility into their system, oh, people just don't have. Think about what you'd have to do if you really wanted that reporting, Right. 20% of the orders you have because your your inventory system and your shipping system and the customer relation management system, they're all different systems. So what this gives us visibility into is an aggregate view of all those systems. Right. And of course, BizTalk isn't actually doing the work. It's just passing the messages and instrumenting the messages along the way. That's right. As the message passes through its hand, it grabs that data off and throws it into its own data store. What we would normally have done previously is we would write ourselves a couple of DTS packages, SSIS packages, whatever we want to call it now, and go out to all the different data stores, right? Maybe your Oracle data store, your DB2 data store, etc. Pull off some data throw it into a cube, and we'd run those, what, once a week or something? Well, that or even if we were running them every day, they're still yesterday's data. This gets into very much that sort of data warehouse mentality. People spend years and years trying to build something like that. That's right. And, you know, yesterday's data doesn't do me any good if what I really want to do is call the guy before the ups man shows up. Right. Yeah. And I find it interesting, this sort of falls out for free. It's You're already watching the right points. All there is is adding the configuration data to say, watch the balance of these numbers and warn me when they're out of whack. That's right. And if it even if it doesn't pass through BizTalk, we can still do it. We can still go to the BAM API and 
get a message from our website that maybe what I want to do is when somebody puts something into their shopping cart, I want that to be the initialization of the order. And really, I don't send a message to BizTalk yet because it's still in the web application and maybe I'm not sure they're really going to buy something. But I need to know that information for some reason. I can go to my ASP.NET application and write something to actually go ahead and, and throw that message at BAM, and BAM can record that. So it's really extensible even outside of uh, BizTalk, and I think we'll see them do more of that on the BAM team. I don't think you could write all that for the $15,000 we were talking about earlier. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're definitely right about that. Now, the, you, let's talk about business uh, business cases. You guys have done a lot of BizTalk. You've done BizTalk consulting. You've done BizTalk training. You surely have some sense of uh, you know the kind of savings and the kind of effectiveness that it has in the real world. Do you have any stories from the field in that regard? So, in sort of generalizations, not to, you know, break any ID sort of the company. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, some of the projects that I've been on that have been really successful, um, it, it really takes a broad range. Some of them have been pure, they're just trying to do some... Uh, messaging and some mapping. And even if that's all you're trying to do, the tools from BizTalk really give you a visual uh, visualization into that. It's very hard to get. Mm. So just to go in a messaging sense from uh, one type of message into some standard canonical message, BizTalk's a great tool for that, right? I've got my, uh, we've had customers that, you know, they're trying to pull things off of their uh, IBM host, and they want to pull that information in, and then they want to uh, take it, canonize it, and send it on to the next system. They also want yeah. to do that from their web application as well. And so it's different data, it's different format, and all they want to do is take this as a, uh, as a messaging system that's going to translate their messages for them. Hmm. We've also had other customers that really want to take huge advantage of the fact that it's a business process management server and they've got a management process that lasts weeks long and they really do need to sort of monitor that. So uh, they get some sort of message in, that message hangs around for a while and starts up a process and they can go back to that process and query, how's this process doing? We also set up some sort of ticklers. So if somebody hasn't approved this or hasn't moved to the next stage, then we send out some sort of message either back to the customer who originally sent this or onto an administrator so they can look into it. Uh, so managing that process where previously it took some customer on a phone call to say, hey, I never got this because it's not in system A really, it's not really in system B, it was some sort of, in some sort of middle vaporware fog somewhere. <laughs> um, the ability to go back and do that has been hugely successful. Um, some of it is difficult to measure sort of financially, you know, the, the savings on it, because it's not something that we had a category for before. It was just, you know, um, we lost customers because we couldn't do this, hmm. right? Hmm. Yeah, and, and of course, it's, you never see yourself losing customers easily. It's not like they said, you know, I'm, I'm I can't work with it anymore. You don't have BizTalk, right? They, they just they're unhappy, and they could be unhappy for a lot of different reasons. They may or may not express that. 
one of my favorite things to tell our developers is if you hear a customer or a user say the word BizTalk, you've done something wrong. <laughs> it's it's plumbing. You don't that's see right. it. That's right. Yeah, maybe that's why Yeah, you don't hear more jump for joy uh, about BizTalk is because it is plumbing. You know, it's not like ASP.NET. We're using ASP.NET. It's like advertised, right? Yeah, it's on every page. It's on every page, yeah. So we talked about how BizTalk was part of the launch back November 2005, and that was BizTalk 2006. What's the current version now? So we're on BizTalk 2006. There will be an R2 release uh, for BizTalk 2006. I don't know that name. I guess still may change, but currently... Uh, they're talking about it as BizTalk 2006 R2. Um, and that should be, I think the latest word is uh, second quarter 2007. So uh, it's sort of a refresh. The big things in that one are RFID cool. and uh, some additional EDI stuff. So they brought in, brought back in in-house the EDI stuff. They had uh, sort of left that to partners to do, and now they're doing more of the EDI stuff themselves. I find it funny that they're still clinging to 2006 R2 when it's obviously going to ship in 2007. Why not just call it 2007? Wow. Um, I think that part of that would be a... If they called it 2007, then it would be a new SKU instead of sort of a service pack-like thing. Right. And so I think they might charge you. And I, they may still charge you for it, but I think possibly there's some, are we going to charge you or are, you, are we not going to charge you for it? And that would, I think, be the difference in the R2, right? Think about Windows Server 2003, R2, right? Yeah, I guess that that's a significant difference. It's right. just it's a minor improvement. Uh, the EDI portion of that is huge as well. That's been a big pain point. Uh, for a lot of folks that are, are doing EDI. And, well, and I always uh, thought that EDI was the original feature of BizTalk. There are those who would make a good argument that it, the EDI part worked better actually in BizTalk 2002 than it did in 2004. Right. Hmm. So, I mean, it's just, I can tell this product really evolved in the sense of it started out as a communication tool between EDI and other protocols, and then this whole calm element came in where you're able to create some code around workflow. And now workflows really seem to become some of the emphasis on the product. And, and the plugins for all the communication protocols, EDI being one of them, got pushed to the wayside. And now it sounds like that's coming back again. Yeah, I'm not sure that push to the wayside is quite accurate, but it was just that there were so many other features that they were adding that, again, in sort of the marketing blitz, when we say new and improved, right, we don't mention all the stuff that, yeah, we've had and is unchanged, right? So right. But now that EDI is getting a good refresh, we're hearing it bubble back to the top. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Developer Express. Developer Express, crafting first-class tools, frameworks, and controls for the .NET developer. Improve your experience online at www.devexpress.com. Well, 
you guys have developed a curriculum for now, uh, Mark Berry. I know that you've worked on the cur- official curriculum, but you've developed a, a hands-on, you know, training class, uh, and and you've been pretty successful with it, haven't you? Yeah, it's been great for us. We've really enjoyed doing the BizTalk training. Our focus when we do the training is really on understanding the product. Yeah. We find that one of the hardest things about BizTalk is that it's got a huge footprint. And so there are lots of moving pieces. Mm. So that when we send a message through BizTalk, we want to know what exactly happens to that message. Let's peek under the covers and see. So the class, we try not to make it just about a how do I do X? Yeah. You know, what bits do I twiddle? Where's the property box to set this property? But more of a, how does BizTalk work so that you can make good decisions about your BizTalk architecture? Because that's the hard part. That right? is the hard part. Ultimately, you have to sit down with the product and think, you know? So, and if you don't have those, that fundamental thinking, uh, you know, uh, foundation, you're sort of lost. I'm I'm with you, man. I, I, you could spend forever saying, okay, now this dialogue has this option, that option, this option. There'll be a quiz. Uh, I'm really not, you know, I can figure that out. That's what documentation. That's and help exactly is right. For. Yeah. Well, and and you've described some very different business cases that BizTalks apply to. So I guess it comes down to what kind of problem have you got? Does BizTalk fit into that particular problem? Like this sort of segs into. Hey, what doesn't BizTalk do well? That's a good question. Yeah, the the anti-agenda for BizTalk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, let me give you a scenario. And this is one of those things that if you knew how BizTalk worked under the covers, you'd say, oh, yeah, I can see why that's not the best solution for this problem. Right. So one example would be something that needs extremely low latency. Uh, so maybe what we're going to do is we're going to go do a bunch of reads and people try to use BizTalk as a gateway. Now, BizTalk will do that. And in some respects, you can make an argument that'll be good at that, but we still are going to have a latency. And that's because today in today's version, maybe this will change one day, but in today's version, what happens is every time a message gets delivered to BizTalk in order for us to guarantee right, to be a really reliable system, we're going to have to put that message on disk somewhere, right? Right, yep. And so if we go to disk, that's slow. Yeah, it's milliseconds, no way around it. Yep. So we're going to take that message, we're going to do whatever massaging we have, we're going to write it to disk. Now, if it was something where I'm sort of acting as a gateway to a system, and I get a message in, and then I send it off to the next system, and then I get the response back, now I've got two database writes, right? Yep. Yep. One on the way in? one on the way back out. And so we're going to look at some latency in a system like that. We're really with a read. We might have wanted something that did uh, a pub-sub system that was a hub-and-spoke like we were talking about earlier, but I might want to keep that all in memory because if you fail a read, what do you do? You go back and read again, right? Yeah, go back and get it. So, and the read doesn't fail that often. And so did I really want to persist the, I need to read this message, right? I need to read this out of a database or read this from another system. So you don't really need it for that. And so there might be other 
solutions, other products that are sort of the non-reliable messaging scenario where BizTalk doesn't shine, right? I mean, that's mm. not the best fit. It'll yeah, do I it. can see high-velocity transaction processing type thing. You wouldn't want to introduce BizTalk into the mix because it's bringing you features you probably don't care about and definitely slowing things down. Well, I mean, if I need reliable transactions across that, then at some point, right, if I'm going system to system, I'm going to have to at some point write to disk, right? Right. So if you think about some other, uh, I'm a Microsoft-only guy, but if you think about some other competitive product maybe that would go to the endpoint of every system and go to that endpoint and put some sort of stack of their own on that endpoint. Like a queue or something. Like a queue or something like that. They're taking that right to disk kit over on that system side right? And then they're writing to the next system and writing to its disk. So we still have these disk writes in, in sort of any scenario that we really want that reliability factor, right? Or we'll have to not have a, queue, a queued system. We'd have to have something that was sort of a request response, um, remote procedure calls type thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And, in, and you're right, in high reliability, if we're dealing with databases, every one of those databases has a transaction log that's writing to disk. If we put BizTalk in front of it, we're just writing the same data several times. No wonder it takes but, a while. But it doesn't seem like that's what you'd use BizTalk for. You wouldn't use BizTalk to uh, replace just business rules in in a middle tier. Um, you know, uh, To me, it doesn't seem like that's where it shines. Yeah, it, you... If you want it to manage a long-running process, that's the real... That's what we're talking about. Yeah, a complex, long-running process. Yeah, the other things, it does okay, and there are arguments to make it do that. Again, management arguments and some other things around BizTalk, but sort of the straight, you know, go and read something from another system, uh, that's not the best choice for it. Right. We've certainly seen some customers that uh, have probably implemented one of the most expensive uh, email systems in the world with this pot sitting sitting underneath it. I could replace Exchange. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do it yourself. I'm just thinking in terms of where does the programming come in with BizTalk? What part of this thing is .netified that I could build a chunk in .NET and, and incorporate it into BizTalk. Seems to me like anytime you've got uh, uh, something that BizTalk doesn't do natively with uh, with a dialog box, then you're, you're going to have to write some code. Is that a good assessment? Uh, we get into the question of, uh, am I going to build an adapter, which you know code would be uh, required of you if you built a custom adapter. Or, you know, is it better to see if maybe there's one out there that I could buy somewhere? And that might be a cheaper route to go. Uh, There's also, uh, uh, you know, the question, I guess, of writing maybe functoids, which we haven't really talked about (laughs) functoids. Uh, There's a cream for that. (laughs) (laughs) I've got functoids. What is uh, a functoid? A functoid is a little function. Is that right? Well, yeah, basically, functoids uh, wind up being used whenever you create uh, maps in BizTalk. So if I wanted to do something like take a couple of strings uh, from two fields in one document spec and concatenate those together and populate a single field in another document spec, uh, a functoid could be used to do something like that. And that's a very simple example. Uh, Because I I think, Mark, what are there, like 67 functoids? Yeah, I think more now in 2006. 
Yeah, more in 2006. You have functoids that do a vast array of things. But besides string manipulation, uh, you've got mathematical functions. You've got the ability to uh, connect to databases and do database reads. Uh, anything else that's very sexy that I'm missing there, Mark? Um, just put in your own XSLT, because really the mapper is generating XSLT, so you want to put in your own snippet of XSLT, you can do that too. Which is cool. If you've got an XML message and you want to repackage it a particular way, you write an XSLT for it, feed those two bits to BizTalk, and it handles it. It's one of the best tools in the world for creating an XSLT. Uh, That's one of the things I've often wished that I could sort of rip out of BizTalk and use externally just as an XSLT generation tool. Really? That's interesting that it'll actually write it for you. You don't have, you're not just stuck feeding it a file. Right, and it's, it's really cool because it's all graphical. Uh, it's very, very easy to create uh, a mapping from one document to another one. And I think that that's the key. It's great at writing XSLT that does mapping. If I'm trying to do something really exotic, I find that I'll fool around with the mapper for a little while, and then I'll say, you know, I could write this XSLT in X line of code. Right. And, you know, go out and write it myself. Do it yourself. So what about the next version of BizTalk? Any, uh, anything that you can share with us without violating NDA? So uh, I don't have a lot of information on VNext, sort of the past R2 version that's not out in beta or anything, but I can tell you some of the things that I would like to see. Now, I, okay. I have no inside knowledge whether this will come out, but um, some of the things that I think uh, would be really useful, and I think that they probably are at least looking at, again, who knows whether we'll actually get this, but one of the things that I'd really like to see is I'd like to see some in-memory routing. I'd like to be able to flip a switch on the message as part of the context of the message somewhere to say, send this message through, but don't persist it because I don't need the reliability. If you lose the message, it's okay. And I think that that would really maybe bump us up a little bit in the competition space. Hmm. Certainly in performance side, you're getting rid of that high uh, reliability to get things a little faster. That's right. And I want to do it on a per-message basis. So I really think that that's one of the places they could go next. One of the other things that I know they are working on in sort of general terms is some more visualization. Um, like I said, BizTalk has got a lot of moving pieces. You come into a receive port that's got a receive location and it heads off to an orchestration and then a send port. And, you know, there's lots of databases behind that and configuration settings and everything. And to sort of step back and get a good picture of all that, that's one of the things I know they're working on is some of the larger architectural vision for everything so that I can step back and look at my project and sort of see what's happening to all of my messages in a very visual, gooey kind of way. Cool. You want to see little blinking arrows moving stuff from place to place. Little happy noises. Exactly. Uh, When does the new uh, workflow library come in? Is that in R2 or is that in Vnext? So that would be Vnext. Oh, okay. So that's got to be a big thing is changing over the workflow engine. I got to think if you are committed into BizTalk's existing workflow implementation, the switchover is going to be a significant concern. What are some uh, resources that we can point people to? You don't have to give the URLs. We'll link to them on the page. But are there any really, really good books or websites that you could recommend? So, I need to throw a, a prop out to Stephen Thomas, definitely. Yeah, BizTalk Gurus. That's a, that's a great site. Stephen does uh, 
Stephen does some uh, tutorial kind of stuff, does lots of samples, really gives to the community, has, is very active on sort of his own personal forum there. Uh, so that's a great place to go. Okay. Uh, and of course, your class, the BizTalk uh, class, you're, you're doing those in Atlanta, and you're also doing them here at uh, Franklin's.net in New London, Connecticut, right? That's right. right. February, I, in fact. February. class up there. Yeah. And we've got a class in Atlanta, uh, January 22nd, right, Mark? That's correct. I just post, posted the date on the website. Now, you're, is it true that your first class down there was sold out? Uh, yes, yeah, so we've actually had two classes sell out uh, since we started uh, teaching this talk. Wow. And I also heard that uh, um, somebody really prominent in the industry sat in on your class and had really good things to say about it. Who was that? Was it Greg uh, Young, I think? That was Greg Young, and he wrote up a full review uh, about the class. He sat our beta class. And Excellent. I'm actually surprised sometimes how far people come. Uh, the last class we taught, which was just a few weeks ago, we had a guy from London uh, fly over to attend it. Uh, and they're, they're just people from all over the U.S. It's not uh, really restricted, I guess, to local folks in Atlanta. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised what that BizTalk hasn't been a bigger splash in the industry as a whole. I mean, it, it does such great things. It, you just don't see everybody using it. Any thoughts as to why that might be? Or do you? I mean, is it that we just don't hear about it? Well, again, I like to say that if somebody mentions that you're using BizTalk, you've done something wrong. Huh. And so I think that that's part of it. It's middleware, right? Middleware's not sexy. People don't go around saying, hey, you know, I'm using uh, MSMQ for this, right? Uh, <laughs> are, there so, any use, are, are there any stats out of Microsoft in terms of cu- number of customers and number of people using it? So I don't have those stats. Right? Yeah. I, I don't either. We might want to you know, find some. At the risk of getting another call from a, a product team member, like I did uh, the last time we talked about this talk, uh, I, I happen to mention that it's uh, it's probably not the best solution for a mom and pop shop. Right, it uh, is pricey. So it's, it's not going to have that wide uh, wide appeal to every small development shop out there. Yeah. Okay. So it would be hard to compare it to something like ASP 2.0. Sure. And you have to also realize that what do people say about Microsoft technology, right or wrong? They say, ah, you know, wait for V3. And so, you know, we really haven't had that sort of uh, drive. And there's just a lot less customers. You're not, you're never going to have as many BizTalk installs as SQL installs, right? Everybody's going to be running SQL everywhere. Um, Not everybody's going to be running BizTalk. So I think there's some combinations like that. I also think part of the problem is that, it's got a learning curve to it. Right. And so some people may have done unsuccessful implementations. Some right. of that may have been back when the product was less mature in 2000 or 2002. I would really encourage those people to go back and take a look at it because it's a totally different product than it was in uh, 2000 and 2002. Uh, and some of them may have had some failed implementation just because it was a big footprint and they don't know necessarily all the things to do to get a successful implementation. 
Um, one of the, I think the biggest problem that I see new developers having is they want to write code, right? Uh, Carl was asking that earlier. So where yeah. do I write the code? And the answer is there's a lot of code generation about it. And so you're not going to write as much code uh, as you would in some other scenarios, right? If you were to go write some other, you know, I'm going to write a class library or a framework for something. That's a lot of code that you're going to write. Here right. in BizTalk, it's a small amount of code. And I and that really seems like that's a goal of BizTalk is to get rid of as much code as possible. Only write the things you really, really have to write. Everything else yeah, is configuration. Do we really want to write plumbing? Exactly. Yeah. Why would you want to write plumbing? Right. BizTalk is plumbing. Nobody wants to to write the plumbing. The ultimate plumbing framework. Uh, and you know the other thing that that I hear a lot is, oh, well, it's very expensive. Uh, you, you might think that until you start looking at some of the prices on the competing products out there. And then suddenly the price the price doesn't look so bad. You've got TIPCO for one, um, uh, IBM solution, which is, uh, uh, what's it called, Mark? Web? WebSphere. WebSphere. They call everything WebSphere now, but yes. <laughs> yes, WebSphere. Uh, any, anything else? Well, I did, also wanna, I did also want to mention that um, one of the things about BizTalk, if you go price things, is please look at what comes in the box. Microsoft really throws in the kitchen sink. So you've got all of the line of business adapters. Basically, everything comes out of the box with BizTalk, and you get a rules engine. You get some business intelligence with BAM. You get the orchestration, the business process management. You get all the mapping. So what might be from a competitor more products is, you know, one product, this one product called BizTalk. So just Very good. try to compare apples to apples. Any last minute uh, thoughts before we, or, or things to plug before we uh, sign off? Well, of course, I, I've got to say that I think if you're going to implement a BizTalk solution, uh, training is a critical part of that. Well, one of the things I like to say is you can't learn anything outside of an instructor-led class. Yeah. <laughs> Not that there's any bias here at all. And in particular, this one instructor-led class. No, well, you know, um, you guys both have great track records as trainers, and the, the, you know, the response from your initial classes has been overwhelmingly positive. So uh, it, you're, you're in good hands with these guys, folks. All right, guys. So uh, uh, it comes to the end of the show, and every once in a while I feel like I should ask the question, you know what the question is? It's uh, what what's the coolest thing you've downloaded or seen online lately? So I noticed that there was a new version of Web Service Contract First from ThinkTexture. 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 Our friends in Germany, our German yeah. friends. And I shrinksterized that at uh, KEM. So you can go check that out. Uh, they had a new version uh, sometime mid-November. For the uh, uninitiated, what is that? It's a great little tool that allows you to, as you might be doing in BizTalk, create your uh, schemas first, then go back and uh, create all of your uh, contract, the WSDL file, and then from the WSDL file, generate the service side, as well as generating the client side. And it does it in a better way than some of the Microsoft tools. So you should check that out. Very Web good. Service contract first. That's Christian Wire, who is... If I get my scheduling right, just on the show. Oh, okay. Well, then you probably plugged him last time. That's yeah. right. Okay, well. Excellent. 
And with that, we will conclude another episode of .NET Rocks. Mark Barry, thank you. Thank you. Mark Dunn, as always, my friend. Hey, I, I, I love coming on. I, I lift my Woodford Reserve in your direction, sir. I, I thank you very much. I think <laughs> I may lift a little back in your direction soon. All right, very good. And we'll talk to you next week on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl Never Sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Pay my taxes with my credit card